All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 8.43, 17 before 9, Tommy Tucker, WWL. Friday morning, and the U.S. reached its debt limit yesterday. A lot of people like to retreat to their red or blue corners when it comes to this and kind of play fast and loose with the facts. We'll try to sort it out for you with Carola Friedman, professor of finance at the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. Good morning. How are you, Professor? Doing very well. How are you? I'm okay. Let's talk about what happened yesterday, and then we'll talk about the the dance that this uh, political dance that this debt limit has become. Um, what happened yesterday? So the the U.S. reached its debt limit. Congress has tapped the maximum amount that the that the Treasury can actually borrow, and that triggers a dance now, so that the the Treasury is going to try to figure out various ways that they can do to avoid default. But those measures, we call them extraordinary measures, are going to be temporary. And uh, if they're not effective or if we get to a point in which the debt limit doesn't get um, lifted and increased, then the U.S. government could default on its debt. What happens if the United States were to do that? Because it seems as though we get taken to the brink politically. Uh, How many times? 80 times, I think, does it happen since the 60s? We get taken to the brink with this politically. What would happen if the U.S. were to default? Well, the U.S. has not defaulted on its debt, so this would be nothing short of catastrophic because it's not something that the rest of the world expects. The rest of the world and uh, so investors that hold U.S. government bonds from abroad and domestically expect the U.S. to honor its debt. So if the U.S. were to default, um, the credit rating would decline and interest rates will increase. Um, that means that it's going to become harder for all of us to borrow, including the federal government. So that will, over time, increase even more. Uh, and when it's harder for us to borrow, it's harder for firms to invest, for households to buy homes or to send their kids to to school, um, that triggers recessions. So it's very likely that we would see a decline in employment, a decline in output, not good things. This is all because the country is in debt, correct? Correct. And it's changed somewhat through the years. When did when did this first manifest itself, and how has it evolved or changed into what we are fooling with now? Uh, it's not a bad thing for governments to borrow, um, and, and governments do, and the U.S. has done so uh, over a really long period of time. What has been happening over time is that the amount of debt that the U.S. has over the the level of GDP has become larger. So essentially, you think about this as the U.S. gets money from, say, our taxes, and they spend on a lot of programs like Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. Whatever gap that there is, they have to fill somehow. So first, if the U.S. government is spending more than the money that they get, that's when they borrow because they're running a deficit. Right. So deficits in the U.S. have been large and for a really long time. So the U.S. has accumulated quite a lot of debt. Um, 
the the history of the debt ceiling is also a history of about a hundred years ago. Uh, until World War One, every time that the U.S. government wanted to borrow for a specific thing, it would have to go to Congress, and Congress would approve a specific bond of a specific kind for, say, building the Panama Canal. Um, when when the wars uh, World War One and World War Two happened, the amount of borrowing that uh, it was needed was a lot larger and also really uncertain. So it didn't make sense for Congress to be approving a specific type of um, debt. So it started approving a maximum amount. So that's roughly the history of how we ended up with having a debt ceiling. I think that is the best explanation I've heard in a long time. Now, that brings into play, I think, the conversation of deficit, debt, budget and how the debt limit fits into all of that because some people will say well the money's already spent other people politically will say the money's not already spent but it goes to the budget that was passed by the last congress correct correct walk us through that if you will professor please yeah so um congress said the essentially we have balance of power so the federal government needs a certain amount of money to function Congress approves a budget, and sometimes that is not enough. Um, and there is a lot of political, as you said, a tug of war um, because there are different interests on where it should be spent and how. And so when the, the budget is not enough, and it's really hard to predict, right? The economy goes down, the government might collect less than taxes, for example, um, uh, then uh, that's when deficits get run and the government needs to borrow. And the money, I guess I'm, I think I just want to try to make it professor where people understand what's going on. So the Congress mm-hmm. approved a budget that has to be funded. Now, what the Republicans want to do is say, wait a minute, now that we're in control, we want to go back and alter that budget because we're not going to fund what you what the Democratic controlled Congress budgeted back in December. So in a way, the money hasn't been spent in another way. It's already been allocated, and they want to go back and redo the budget as opposed to just raising the debt limit, correct? Yeah, well, that's because we also have a change in Congress and elections throwing a, a wrench into uh, allocations that have already been, been been met. It's also true that over time, the amount of debt that the government uh, needs to, to run um, – uh, its business has been increasing, right? So um, we also need uh, for the U.S. government not to default for the, the debt limits to be increased. Let me take a break. We'll pick it up here. We come back. And it seems to me that we went from back in 1917, the Panama Canal, from funding specific projects to approving a debt limit, that's where the slush fund aspect of this started to come in, and that's where it really started to get out of control. I might be wrong. You can explain that to me when we come back. If you have any questions or comments, you can text them to 504-260-1870. We're talking about what the Fed did yesterday, and we'll also talk about what happens next as it relates to the debt limit. Carola Fridman is our guest, professor of finance at the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. 851-9 till 9, traffic now on WWL. 855, 5 till 9, Tommy Tucker, WWL, talking about the debt limit and the debt ceiling and what happened yesterday with the Fed. Carola Friedman, I hope, Professor, I'm pronouncing that right, am I? 
Perfect. Good. Every now and then, you know what they say about an impaired squirrel finding a nut. That's me, professor of finance at the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. I got to tell you, we've been talking about this for years and years, and you gave the most cogent explanation I have ever heard about how we got to this political dance, the mess of the debt limit being raised, where for the Panama Canal it was, no, we need to raise the limit for this project. Then when World War I started, and correct me if I'm wrong, Professor, that that's when they said, well, we can't come to you for every little expense, you know, talking about billions of dollars, little expense, so we're just going to give you a limit, and then you can go up to that point. But did that not, in a way, kind of create a huge slush fund for Congress or make it make them, in, in a way, less responsible or less accountable for how much you're spending? Well, um yeah, it's, in a way, it's more efficient because, as you said, the Treasury doesn't have to come for every little thing, which creates another big political morass, potentially. Yeah, that's true. Um, so so it's nicer uh, to have an absolute amount. So it's not that Treasury can and the federal government can spend any unlimited amount. That's why we have a ceiling. But they have freedom to decide are they going to issue a five-year bond or a 10-year bond? Are they going to allocate it to this project or the other? Now, Congress still has a say over the budget, so it's not that Congress is uh, not having uh, anything to do with how the money is spent, right? They, they do pass laws, and they allocate money for specific parts of, of government as well. So we're not completely out of the political morass and dysfunctionality affecting how the federal government spends its money, as we're seeing, because as you said before, uh, being right against the dead ceiling is not news. It happens all the time. (laughs) Uh, We've been here over and over. So what would be be a better way to do it than this? Because obviously what one Congress is trying to do is undo what the other one did, right? That's their that's their attempt in not approving the debt ceiling increase. Is that accurate? Well, I think it creates uh, – it's hard to know what the system is great. Both will have problems, mm-hmm. but uh, what would be better? But but it does create the, political, the, the possibility for political bargaining, and that's what we see, right? The federal government does not want to default. They understand that's going to be really bad. Congress now understands this, they have the upper hand. Uh, because the government might actually make some concessions and they might spend less on something that Congress right now doesn't want the money to go to, and that's why we have these these issues over the budget that you were mentioning before. So um, this, for for you and I, creates a lot of uncertainty and and it's just bad for, for the economy, and that's, that's part of the problem. If we did not have the political dysfunctionality, it hasn't always been like this, we would simply approve it and it would increase. It's not that the U.S. government cannot really borrow. Or we would have a real conversation about the fact that deficits are really high. Um, they are only – the debt to GDP ratio is about 124% that's, And that's, that's the big conversation. Is it not, Professor, that gets maybe lost in all of this? Yeah, exactly. So I just want to give you a sense of things to come. The two GDP ratio is about 124% today. It's expected the the CBO expected to be about close to 200% uh, three years down the line. So it's only three? getting larger. 200, 200%. No, three but years you said three years down the line? Three, three years down the line. Okay, 30 but, years. Yes, okay. by 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 twenty fifty. Right, I was afraid so, it would happen while I was no, still alive, Professor. I was worried. 
Surrey. Surrey. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, we might still be alive. Yeah, but, well, but you the, may probably be gone. Yeah, but, anyway, but yeah. the point. The point is that because the U.S. government has borrowed quite that much, a lot of that increase in debt over time is because we have to pay the interest on money we've already borrowed. Professor, we're out of time. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I hope you'll come back on and talk to me again about this because you make it easy to understand, and this is complex stuff. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 